Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, your podcast for IT business support, where we come together and share product stories and tips, all in an effort to help you run your business better, smarter, and faster. You are here on Wednesday evening, July 6th. This is our weekly live show where anything goes pretty much. But uh, tonight we shall see. I think I have a couple of good things for you. Uh, First, I want to say happy Independence Day for those of you that celebrated the July 4th weekend. And I did the same. I went up to Kissimmee, Florida and spent five days with my mother and her family. And it was an interesting experience to say the least. So it was a good event. We had about 30 people there. We were in one of the condo villages. We did not stay at a hotel. We stayed at some villas where you could get, you know, three-bedroom apartments. And so a couple of families could share a room rather than be spread across the hotel. We actually got the entire floor of one of the condo buildings and got to experience all the amenities there. So It was all in all a great event. I think that they all enjoyed it. We had people travel from Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, which is where most of the family is from, but they all came and had a great time, and I hope that you did as well. So tonight, I'm going to talk about a couple of observations, even though technically it was a short week. For a lot of us, we took off Friday and Monday. So there was a lot of stuff that probably did not happen business-wise, but for me it did because as a solo technician, the business never stops. So we'll talk about that. I do have a lovely Florida Man adventure to share with you this evening, and we are efforting one of our good friends, and uh, hopefully he will join us tonight. I have a little bit of a legal question that I want to ask and get his opinion on, so we'll see if he makes it onto the show this evening. Uh, thank you for those of you that are watching live. If you are not and you're just catching this because somebody forwarded you a link or told you to listen, uh, head over to itbusinesspodcast.com, and if you click the follow button up at the top right of the screen, you can follow on all your favorite podcatchers. You can uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel where you'll get notified when we have videos that come up. Or you can subscribe to us on the Facebook page. And we are also streaming on LinkedIn. So all of those places you can catch these videos. And then, of course, you can catch the audio podcast at any time by going to the website or subscribing to us in your podcatcher. So our live show tonight is sponsored by NetAlly, the number one friend of network professionals around the world. And while I usually will tell you about all the great tools and stuff we have out there, I also want to tell you that they have this great product called Ally Care. It is basically their version of support. I'm actually using it right now. I overnighted a unit out to Colorado Springs. They got it today. They've already started looking at it. The unit was actually functioning okay, but I had a little bit of a fan noise. And every now and then the system would shut down improperly, come back up in safe mode. So I said, hey, 
I need you guys to take a look at this. They said, okay, send it in. We'll take care of it. And I already got a response back from the technician that's working on it, asking me a couple of questions and stuff. So if you have one of these units and it's going to be something like the link runner or the etherscope, or maybe you have one of the uh, yellow one touches, all of those you can get ally care on your unit. And if you have questions about it, just let me know. I can hook you up and even sell you the Ally Care product if you need it. The video portion of the live show is sponsored by our good friend John over at Computers Done Right. They are a managed service provider here in the southwest Florida area. As the screen advances too fast. Uh, Computers Done Right is a managed service provider helping provide IT support and management in the Venice and surrounding areas. Not only do they do computer repair and virus removal, they also do website design and social media marketing. So for all your computer needs, head over to computersdoneright.com. And then, of course, I also want to let you know, coming up this fall, September 16th through the 18th in Chicago, TechCon Unplugged, hosted by our good friends Paco and Rick over at MSP Unplugged. It is going to be a great event. It is where techs and vendors work together to uh, help provide a better IT community. <coughs> so head over to TechCon Unplugged and get your ticket. If you remember, use the discount code IT. BP75OFF, and that'll get you $75 off the ticket price for the event. All right. So, last week, if you are skipping shows out of order, you may want to go back and catch that up episode. It was a great podcast uh, that I had. Uh, Mike Sladowski was on the show from Magnus Box, and we talked about the controversial topic of don't check or test your backups. So uh, you may want to go there and have a little tongue-in-cheek with uh, all the things that we talked about there. Uh, I also want to let you guys know that I, even though I had gone up to Kissimmee, Florida, I actually had recorded a show um, with a good friend of mine, Jim Collison, Uh, He has a YouTube channel where it's called The Average Guy TV. And we actually did a show last week that um, we did. I don't think he has a a name for it, Uh, but it's just show 536. I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, Home Gadget Geeks. And we ended up talking about the iPad that I purchased. And he asked me if I had any good uses for it and talked a little bit about mobile device management and some other topics there. So um, that's another good show that I think a lot of you would enjoy. They talk about a lot of stuff for the house, you know, home networks, uh, things that you would do in your home to kind of automate and do all of the tech stuff there. Stuff that I kind of don't do a lot, but uh, home gadget geeks. And, uh, I will have the link to the show that I was in last week in the show notes. Sorry. I'm checking the screen to make sure I have everything right there. And I think that is all of the housekeeping. So, well, let me tell you about 
the fact that I might be letting another client go. So I have talked about the fact that, you know, I've only truly really fired one client. There have been some others that we kind of let go. And that's a little bit different than firing, meaning you actually have a conversation with them and tell them this ain't working out. We got to go. And so I want to kind of lay the groundwork for, for what happened there and why I'm thinking about it. And then we can kind of talk about the reasons that you would let a client go. Because I think when I've seen in the Facebook groups and on the Reddit chats and stuff like that, we all kind of have our line in the sand. We all have, you know, what is going to be, you know, our reason to go. And when I say reason to go, usually that refers to fighting, but we're not talking about fighting, but reasons to go as meaning we got to get out of this relationship. Either we're no longer a fit for them or they're no longer a fit for us. And uh, so I got a call. Um, I shouldn't say a call. I got an email uh, late on Thursday. Now, I had already driven over to Kissimmee. We actually left that night. So I actually was, I think when the email came in, it was, what, 7.07 p.m. when that email first came in. So I was still driving to Kissimmee. I didn't get to Kissimmee until 8 p.m. It's a three-hour drive from here. And when I got uh, to the condo and we got everything unpacked and everything, I opened up the email, and it starts with these words, according to a friend. Now, that is what I would consider a red flag. And not that there is anything bad with our clients talking to friends and getting stuff like that, but usually what that is, is them setting up the stage for them to tell you what they want, knowing that it's probably not something you're going to recommend or approve. And this is a client that I uh, got referred to me, I guess it was early last year. And a client that I normally would not take on, but because it was from a, another client who was also, eh, I will say a friend. He's not somebody that I you know hang out with all the time, but he's somebody that I've played ball with, somebody that we have gone out and done some social stuff together. And the client was kind of in a bind. And, you know, the guy was like, this is, you know, you got to go with Marv. He can help you. And so I kind of started to help him a little bit. And the only things that we're doing for them is we're doing backup of their data, not necessarily their server and environment, but we're backing up their data and we replaced a firewall for them so that they could pass their PCI compliance. They do credit card transactions and apparently they were getting scanned from their compliance company or whatever, and they were failing and they didn't have a firewall. They were just using the Comcast modem or router or whatever it was. And, you know, the guy previously to them had kind of done some VLANing, uh, putting the credit card machine on a separate network, but they were still failing the scan. So when we went in there, and we talked about all of this. I said, well, you need a real firewall. And I gave them two options. They didn't go with the option I wanted, which was a sonic wall. So we actually went with a Arachnus uh, firewall, which, you know, technically works just fine for them. Passed their test and you know, made sure that there were no open ports or anything like that. So that was good. 
So let me also explain, because <laughs> I know this is going to sound out of order. So I usually give clients a three-strike rule, basically like, I, basically like baseball. So you get three strikes, and the third strike, we're done. I'm not going to put up with it. And we're talking about strikes like, you know, from one customer, they yelled at my office staff on the phone and then hung up on them for no good reason. So that was a strike against that customer. And basically I said, look, that will never, ever happen again. So things like that, things like, you know, cheating me on prices, you know, always trying to beat me up on a price when I give pretty good discounts. I'm not like a lot of people where I overpad invoices. I mean, I do try to make good margin. I'm not going to lie about that. Most of the time I will charge up to the retail price. Um, if they know that I'm going out of my way to get something for them and it's not convenient, I'm going to charge them a consulting fee or some sort of technical fee for my time. We live in a time now where everybody can just go to Amazon and check prices and do that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's a premium for me to do that for them if they're going to price check me. So this particular customer, I'm not going to say what the first strike was because then I'll have to explain some other stuff, but I just want you to know they have one strike already. So they have the strike. So I get the email, the 7.07 PM on Thursday, according to a friend, he stated that I can still upgrade a windows eight computer to windows 10 by burning the ISO. And then he puts the link in the mail and blah, blah, blah. And then literally two minutes later, there's another email can you schedule a time to update two of our local machines? And he names the machines and gives me what he wants done to them. So I call him on Friday because we are not managing their network. We, I don't know anything about these other machines outside of the fact that I know that they're there. And turn, turns out the reason that he needs to do this upgrade is that something happened with their QuickBooks. And they are running an older version of QuickBooks and they did an update on their own to one of their computers and it broke. And part of the reason it broke was because they've got uh, um, older computers that are, let's, shall we say, below spec. And um, I don't know exactly everything about the machines or let me rephrase that. I didn't know then everything about the computers, but all I know is that Windows um, needed to be upgraded so that they could run QuickBooks. And the customer proceeded to tell me that you knew that we were running QuickBooks in our environment and that there should have been an update done. You should have told us that. And I proceeded to let him know that we're not managing your computers or your network I've heard you talk about QuickBooks, but I'm not monitoring it. I'm not keeping up with your software. So why would I tell you that there's a QuickBooks update? If you're doing all your own stuff, you would know that. So suffice it to say, that was a discussion that led into strike two. So that was kind of a foul ball in my mind. I don't mind them saying, oh, well, why didn't you tell us? Well, here's why I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you because I'm not... I'm not doing your network. You're not paying me to monitor all this stuff. So that's not on me. That's on you. So we talk about, yes, when I get back in town, 
which I told him is going to be on Tuesday. I won't get back until Tuesday. I'll probably call him on Wednesday. So when I get back Tuesday afternoon, I get this long email where he says, Hi, Marvin, I appreciate the insight about the Windows 11 ready for refurbs, blah, blah, blah. I looked at the cost of refurbs in Windows 11, blah, blah, blah. And I am going to look at a three-year window because I don't know if I'm going to be, um, where did he say? This is an investment that will only live three and a half years, but in three and a half years, Windows 11 machines will be ready and the resources will be far better. We will revisit the workstations for Windows 11 come late 2025. The bottom line is, is I was trying to get him to say, well, if you're going to get new machines, consider that they're going to need to be ready for Windows 11. I was wanting to sell him new machines, but he didn't want to hear that at all. And he goes, that is also three years away, and I have no clue if I will even be in business or be the owner of said business in three years. So I decided to move in the direction of Windows 10 refurb computers and proceeded to tell me that he had purchased the computers and they would be there in five days. Please schedule the installation. And I said, hmm, okay. So now I've got to review the machines that he purchased. And now one thing I do remember is that the previous tech had used some, uh, shall we say, illegal software. He had used one single image disk for Microsoft Office, Adobe Photoshop, and Illustrator, and some other stuff. Now, the reason I know this is because the reason is the owner told me this a while back. So I said, well, I'll need to get on the server. I'll scan all the computers. I've got an inventory software. He wanted me to, like, remote into every single computer and check him. I said, no, no, I'll get on the server. I'll download stuff and then I can scan the network. And so I got all the computers scanned and turns out that they have 11 copies of an illegal windows, Microsoft office. Uh, Some of them are 2013. Some of them are 2016, but where I found the installation sources was a, The best way to describe it is a Word document with all of the cracked key codes that they had generated for all of the software. And we're talking, there's probably a hundred softwares listed in this Word document of which this customer is using a few. So I knew that the technician had been using this document in this software for all of the people that he worked for. So basically I needed to send an email to the client, which I did this afternoon and said, well, now that you've got the computers, obviously I'll have to check them physically when they come in, make sure they meet the specs uh, for Windows 10. I'm sure that they will. Um, but I had told them, I said, they need to have five, you know, 256, um, no, 512 gigs of uh, solid state drive, 16 or 32 gigs of RAM. It needed to be a core five I think I told him seventh generation or higher. I don't remember exactly, but you know, I wanted him to get a computer that was pretty recent if he was going to do refurbs. So now I've got to look at those. And I sent him the email and said, these are all the softwares that are loaded on the machines. And we're going to need to check and see which license you're, you're going to need to purchase because I'm not going to install anything on a machine without a proper license. So he uh, hasn't gotten back to me yet. So this All of this between Thursday, Friday, and today is what I am going to consider strike two. So 
depending on how he comes back with the licenses in terms of if he's ready to purchase an open license for all of the computers or if he wants to purchase with uh, 365, all of those things, uh, we'll see how he goes. And that may end up being strike three if he wants me to set up computers with illegal software. And uh, the bottom line is I won't. So I thought I would come in with a list of all the things that you would fire a client for, but um, I don't seem to have that piece of paper. So I will forego that and ask you guys um, some of the stuff I did listen list earlier in terms of you know, a customer, you know, always trying to beat you down on price at some point, it's not worth it. Another ratio that I use is the percentages. If I've got a customer that is taking up more than 50% of my time, they need to be paying 50% of my revenue or more in order to account for that. So those are the types of things that I do. I, I don't deal with the, you know, you know, some people say, well, you, you know, never let a customer be more than X percent. Well, it depends on what you're doing for that customer versus your other customers. I have a small number of customers. I have probably about, I think the number is 32 clients that I manage. And I don't even know the total number of desktops because they're not all under management. So my percentages are a little off. My percentages are based on the hours that I spend working for the client. There's one customer that I bill them 80 hours a month as part of their support agreement. So they get a little bit more leeway as to how much time they they get. Other clients, I'm only billing 10 hours, some as little as four hours, which means that they're only going to call me a couple of times a month and get a visit. So those are the types of things that I will use as my criteria for when I fire a client. But a client that is rude a client that has no time for me, meaning, you know, I'm trying to set up business review meetings. I'm trying to get them to sit down for discussion if we're getting ready to do a network upgrade. If they have no time for me, I have no time for them. So those are some of the things. So if you've got some things that you may want to say, hey, Marvin, think about this, uh, send me an email. Um, I'm looking at the chat. I don't see an active chat tonight, but it usually kicks up a little bit later. Right now, though, as promised, and put on the marquee for tonight's show, I have an attorney in the house because I am not an attorney. So I am going to bring to the stage by audio only, no video, but my good friend Brad Gross in the house. Brad, how are you? I'm doing well. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you good. Yes. Great. Great. Good to be here. Yes. Joining uh from the podcast computer. So it has a good microphone, but uh, no video, <laughs> but no, no video. video. Oh man. Sounds it's, like it's you, a, uh, sounds like you need to get a little donation together for a new video. I think so. I'm going to do a Kickstarter campaign <laughs> to get me a camera on my podcast. But um, I'll tell you, I was just listening to what you were saying and, you know, as we literally, you and I have discussed over the years, there are certain realities that MSPs need to be aware of and think about that will impact their ability to deliver services. Like, for example, you brought up one. And again, I just heard 
admittedly the last 10 minutes or so, but it sounded to me like you brought up at least three, which one was behavior of a client. Mm -hmm. What happens when a client just acts like a jerk? What do you do? What do you do if the client's acting like a jerk, but pays the bill? So, you know, they haven't really breached the contract because they're paying the bill, but they've made your life so difficult or they've threatened your texts or they are behaving in such a way that it makes it impracticable for you to continue working with them. What do you do? That's reality. Reality number two that I heard you bring up, a client takes up too much of your time. Even though you might offer a service that is either, unquote, unlimited or a service that is not defined by a set number of hours, such as you get 12 tech hours a month. You might just simply say, you get tech support eight to five. So we're not limiting the number of hours. But nonetheless, we don't operate in a world in which one person can take up a majority of your time, even if you have said unlimited. That's a reality. And the third reality I heard was the reality of clients having illegal software on their network. And that's a significant problem because if the company, your customer, has a disgruntled employee and that disgruntled employee calls the Business Software Alliance, which is sort of the uh, industry consortium that goes after companies that are operating with illegal software, and they represent Adobe, they represent Microsoft, they represent a lot of companies. Uh, so a disgruntled employee reports that their employer has illegal software. Well, you bet your bottom dollar that not only is your customer going to get sued, but the first question that the Business Software Alliance would ask is who maintains your network? right? Who's in charge of maintaining and monitoring your network? And then if they come back and say, oh, Marv is, <laughs> you know, Marv's in charge, bet your bottom dollar, Marv is the next defendant to be listed in that lawsuit. So the illegal, um, uh, illegal software on networks for your clients isn't just a problem for your client, your customer, it could be a problem for you too. So all three realities that I heard, which we could talk about or how to address them, but all of them I just heard in the past 10 minutes. Well, yeah. Well, what, I what had a blockbuster a, 10 minutes. Yeah. I, well, there's a lot there. And it's funny because I was going to ask you in terms of legality, um, because I think it was your, was it your first episode of this year, or your last episode of last year, where you talked about, um, oh, what was the phrase? The um, fiduciary fiduciary duty. Yes. Yep. Because mm -hmm. that was the last episode of last year. Because I remember I said, this might be, and I, I even used this voice and got close to the mic. This <laughs> might be the most important topic I will talk about all year. Right. So that's how I remember. So in this particular case, when I started working with them, uh, our agreement was only to do the data backup, which was, you know, their server and, and some USB drives attached to their server and the firewall. And I told him, I said, I'm not going to touch anything else because as soon as I touch it, it becomes my responsibility. So th there was a part of me that says, once he told me that they were using illegal software, my first thought is we either need to make it legal or I need to leave. And I, and I thought about that. And so I guess the question would be in our state of the world for managed service providers, 
should we be that stringent with our rules where even if we don't manage that stuff, if we know that there's something going on that could come back on us, should we just, you know, get out of that situation or make them fix it? The problem is that, and and I understand the, 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 um, the conflicting issues and they're business related, right? Which is I'm making good money off of this customer. I'm not giving them the illegal software. I'm not contributing to that. So if they want to do it and if they get busted, fine. In the meantime, I'm making my money. Okay. I get it. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is far darker and far more expensive. And it would go along the lines of, well, you are not providing them the software. That is true but you are facilitating their illegal use of that software. You are making sure their network is up and running and that they can access and use that software. And you are backing up files. You are actually uh, uh, engaged in activities that does everything except provide them with the illegal uh, 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 software. And on that basis, it could be alleged that you are aiding them. You are aiding and abetting. You are contributing toward what this is. Now, is that a winning argument? Maybe, maybe not, but it's an expensive one. And that's the problem. To get to the point where you would either be found not guilty or guilty of aiding and abetting or contributory uh, uh, theft of, of uh, copyrighted material, well, you're talking about, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars just to get to the point where you figure out if you even have liability. So the question is, was it worth it? Was it worth it? If you're a gambler, maybe you think it is worth it. Uh, from my perspective, if somebody is doing something wrong under your nose, are you responsible for it? No. But could you be pulled into that scenario and then have to dig your way out? Yes. Absolutely. And that is where MSPs lose their money. And that is where they lose their time. And that is where reality bites. So, you know, from my perspective, if your customer has illegal software on its network and you had nothing to do with it, are you directly liable? No. Are you going to escape, uh, you know, without a scratch? If, 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 if it ends up in a courtroom or before an arbitration, you're going to spend money. So it's better at that point to just simply say, if you're not going to have licensed software, the indirect liability that we might face is so expensive that unless you're willing to give us a bond right now or some sort of retainer to secure our position, we have to leave. All right. And that sounds kind of where I'm going with it is now that you've asked me to put in these new computers, they're going to have to be proper. So that'll be my line in the sand. Um, but then it'll be, yeah. well, well, if we have somebody else do it, and I'll be like, no, I'm sorry. Either I do it or I don't do it. And either way, I'm either taking over your entire network or we are parting ways. That's it. I think, and especially, this is especially true when you have exclusive control over a network. So you can't even argue that you were unaware of it or that a different provider might have engaged in this type of activity. If you have exclusive control over a network, it's going to be pretty hard uh, uh, to argue that you didn't know about it, that you didn't contribute toward it, and so forth. Okay. All right. Well, and that was just illegal software. <laughs> My God. I mean, your behavior, taking up time. Yeah. Lots of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And what's funny because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I don't know how much time you're giving us because I had only asked you for a little bit and it had nothing to do with this. So it's I okay. hope we have you're time not getting rid of me. Okay. I'm going to stay until you hang up on me. <laughs> All right. So the question that I originally asked Brad, um, it was probably about three weeks ago. Um, but because of schedules and holidays and, you know, your world tour, we didn't get a chance to get together, but I was reading in one of the groups and there was a big discussion that I started to get involved with and then I backed out and it really started with a simple question with the Wi-Fi splash page for guest. Is it worth the headache? And just to give you a little bit of background, um, that's how it started. And they were talking about most of the issues that come up on Wi-Fi have to do with people not being able to get past the splash page whether you know they just have to hit enter and accept or they have to put in an email to register. But then the discussion became, became larger with, well, you have to have that disclaimer because if something does if somebody does something on your network, even though it's your guest network, if it's not completely separated, that could fall back on the company. And then we got into HIPAA discussions and then we got into insurance discussions, liability and all of these things. And that's where I'm like, okay, everybody in this group is kind of giving their opinion, but none of them are legal experts or attorneys. These are just other MSPs and technicians like me. And, you know, some of the discussions were all oh, disclaimers are bullshit. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and of course that took another turn with, you know, you can't say that and, so I thought, you know what, rather than spend my time going down this rabbit hole, let me call my buddy the attorney and kind of get at least a legal premise. And what is, you know, the framework for these Wi-Fi splash pages? Because I'll be honest, I've put them up, but I think I've only read like the first paragraph or two. I've never read an entire disclaimer myself uh, to know what they say, which I probably should have in preparation for this, but um, why don't we start with that? Well, I'll tell you. So the issue that you're bringing up and, and your final uh, uh, word on that, uh, uh, that you have put up splash plate pages of your own, but you don't read them. Uh, I will plead guilty as well. I write the stuff and I don't read them when I see them. And I, and I know what can be in these, 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 uh, dialogue boxes, these splash pages, because man, I've written some, some pretty, uh, pretty, pretty tough ones. And so people don't read them. Okay. That said, we'll start with the foundational question, which is, is a, uh, are the terms of a splash page just generally basic contract law? Are they enforceable? If there's a splash page, some sort of click through uh, that says by using um, our network, you agree not to uh, visit this site or that site or do anything bad and so on. Is it enforceable? So the answer is, well, yes, the, you know, contracts can be created in a number of ways. They can be in writing. They could be electronic. They can be oral. They can be by, um, by activity, meaning he didn't say yes or no, but he acted as if there was a contract. He engaged in the activity that I offered him to do. So there's a contract. There are a lot of different ways that parties can enter into a contract. A splash page is the equivalent of a click-through agreement. Uh, 
and a click-through agreement. Click-through agreements have been upheld in virtually every state in the United States. So just as a general premise, our splash pages are the terms uh, of a splash page. And by that, I assume you mean a page that comes up when you first, let's say in your case that you're talking about, log on to a network. It is a portal through which the user must pass. Right. There's no way around it. They must pass through it. So if they say yes, they're in. If they say no, they're out. Well, you're giving them something of value. You're giving them the ability to access the internet. That's obviously valuable. They're using it, so it must have value. And in exchange for which you're making that person say, listen, you're not. Go- you're going to refrain from doing certain things. You might hold us, meaning the, uh, the provider of the service, um, harmless from anything that happens. Sure. Is it enforceable? Of course it's enforceable. Now, that said, um, the question of enforcement, the question of are you as the provider of that service still held harmless based on what a user does? Well, that's a deeper question. But before I get into that, am I following the path you want to go down here, Marv? I mean, we, yes. we, Yes, okay. you've you've, so you've right. hit the first brick. What's that? I'm you, sorry? You've hit the first brick. I've hit the first brick. Okay. So the question now is, a person says that they will not do something illegal using your uh, internet access, and they click, I agree. Now they're through the portal page. You have an agreement with your customer. You've provided them something of value. They have given you a, a representation in exchange. We do have an enforceable contract. Okay. Now the person starts doing illegal things, whatever that might be, visiting a site that is illegal, engaging in criminal activity on on or through your network and so forth. The question is, are you as the provider going to be held liable? The answer will be on my next episode of Uncle Marv's <laughs> IT Business. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Just making sure you're listening. All right. So what's the answer to that? Um, while everything is somewhat fact sensitive. Uh, I'll tell you that if you don't have knowledge, actual or constructive knowledge, that these things are happening on or through your network, then generally speaking, you're not going to be held responsible for the activities of the user. Uh, you know, the, uh, the idea behind the network is that uh, providing access to the uh, Internet is that, again, people can go to all kinds of sites, right? Uh, good, bad and ugly. And unless you're going to monitor, which you're not required to do, what they're doing, well, there's no knowledge uh, that's not going to be imputed to you if they do something wrong. However, however, if you have knowledge or if you have seen activity in the past reviewing your logs or something like that, that you see every day at three o'clock, somebody is... um, you know, logging onto a server in Iran or something like that, something bad is going on, well, then do you have constructive knowledge, if not actual knowledge? The answer is probably yeah. Yes, you do. And you're not going to be able to avoid liability because you agreed with this user that they're not going to do anything wrong. They are doing something wrong. And this is similar to the um, the discussion we just had about somebody who has illegal software on their network. You didn't put it on there. But now you have knowledge of it, right? And to the extent that you have knowledge of it, how much are you contributing to it? How much are you aiding and abetting or contributing to that activity? 
that becomes an issue. So I would say that generally speaking, a splash page is it's an enforceable thing. And I think that it certainly provides a, at least a first level, if not a, a first and second level of defense against people who would use that network for nefarious purposes. However, if you have actual knowledge or constructive, reasonable constructive knowledge that bad things are going on in that network, it's probably incumbent on you to do something about it. And that could be like IP limiting, right? You know, limit the IP addresses, uh, limit sites that that people can go to. Um, But that's going to be a case-by-case basis. All right. So the illegal activity is one thing, but what about restricting access? For instance, a lot of, and I'll use my clients as an example, especially our medical offices and our law firms, we actually will put the same limitations on the guest Wi-Fi that we do on the client Wi-Fi, meaning that, you know, we're not going to allow, you know, porn sites. We're not going to do streaming of movies and stuff. And most of that is to, you know, uh, preserve bandwidth when we, you know, limit music and movies and stuff like that. Streaming Um, content. Right. And then of course the customer's like, well, I, you know, this should be a public Wi-Fi. I want access to everything. Well, it's not your network, and this is not a public network. This is a guest network of the client. So the client has the right to refuse Internet access to nefarious stuff. Does that sound in line? Correct. Okay. I would, I, there's nothing to add to what you just said. You're 100% right. All right. And mm-hmm. before I go by uh, Chris's question, we do have a question from the chat where Chris asks, how liable are you if someone gets on your guest network and gets ransomware or loses data? I don't know if they they would lose data as a result of being on your network, but I could see them getting ransomware. Right. Well, I'll tell you, this is one, and it's a good question. This is one of the um, reasons why a splash uh, page or some sort of portal uh, uh, page is a good thing, because you can set expectations and establish the fact that you're not going to be held responsible uh, for things that occur on or through the network. So that's, and and assuming that they click okay, well, then you're in the clear because like I said, online contracts are fully enforceable. Uh, that said, that said, uh, what if you don't have a splash page? What if they just log in in, in the splash pages? Welcome to the guest network. Uh, well, that was, know, that was my next question. And be courteous to people around you and you have, uh, you know, one hour of time, then we kick you off. And you don't mention anything about what you can and can't do, restrictions and so forth. And then through the network, they acquire some sort of malware. The answer is, once again, you're not going to have liability. And, you know, lawyers will tend to say, well, it depends on the this and the that. No, you know, I, I, I'm not going too far out on a limb to say I'm pretty with a very high degree of confidence telling you you won't have liability. Uh, assuming you didn't put the malware there, right? Assuming you didn't know about it. This is a site that they went and visited. Um, uh, uh, and, and the argument would be that you are the same as, if not an actual common carrier, the same way a mailman delivering a bad, you know, bad news in the mail. You're not going to sue the postman. Uh, same thing goes with internet access. Once you're online and you know, you're using our conduit. We are just a common carrier providing the conduit to you. The good news, the bad news, the malware that you experience online, that's up to you. Uh, and you are under no obligation 
to create some sort of whitelist or blacklist that restricts or doesn't restrict someone on that network. You're under no obligation unless somehow you entered into a contract in which you accepted that obligation. There's no common law or just general law that says, uh, non-statutory law that says, if you provide this, you better have a whitelist and a blacklist. And uh, no, 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 that doesn't exist. All right. So one of the things that I saw in the group where that very scenario was up where they didn't do a splash page, but what they did instead was put posters in the lobby and public areas of where people would access the guest Wi-Fi saying that if you use the guest Wi-Fi, then you agree not to do nefarious things. And they said, our lawyers were good with that, but I'm not a lawyer. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, the, 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 well, I didn't see the sign in the lobby. Well, how did you miss it? I don't know. I was looking down at the time. Right. right? So uh, that kind of thing where you have signs in the lobby and all that is uh, more uh, sound and fury. That doesn't really have any substance to it. And it, you, uh, if you're going to put serious terms in that, such as by uh, going online, you agree to and whatever the terms might be. You'd be hard pressed to enforce that as a, as a contractual um, as a contractual obligation because, uh, like I said, people could say they were unaware of it. People could say I didn't know they were talking about me. I never affirmatively accepted that. I don't even know what you're talking about online. There were several guest networks. I didn't know we were talking about yours. There are so many different things that could throw ambiguity, inject ambiguity into the situation. That whole sign postage is a bit ridiculous. All right. Now, does that fall, I mean, it can't fall into the same category, but I view posters in the lobby almost like signs at the pool, like at where I was this past weekend, where, you know, there's one sign in the corner that says, you know, no, you know, running or jumping and no diving in the pool and blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, there's nowhere that, I, now there probably may have been somewhere in the agreement that I signed when I rented the room rules about the pool, but that can't apply to every guest and person that shows up to the pool who may not even be staying there. So is right. that kind also of understand this when you have a sign, like let's take that as an example, a public pool where you have a sign hanging up, it says no running, no jumping, no bringing food in. Okay. Realistically. Okay. There's not many places where that sign could be posted. It's not the same as an internet as internet access. You can create a splash page. You can create a portal page that would uh, manage everyone's expectations and create that relationship, the contractual relationship. When you enter into a pool, unless you're going to have the sign floating in the pool, in the pool water, where everyone, you can only really post it at the entrance or maybe on the wall and big lettering where people would see it. So I also think that there's a logistics argument to be made that these signs that are posted in a lobby saying, if you go on our internet, understand, you know, we're going to be held harmless and all probably not enforceable can easily be circumvented. Especially when you think about the fact that there are several ways that you could have done it better, that you could have done it better right? as opposed to hanging a sign at a pool. There's no way to do it better. Right. There's no other way to do it. All right. All that sounds simple enough. So that takes away. So I was just going through and counting. Um, there were 385 comments on that question in this group. So 
quite an on which on which comment on which uh, uh, on question the, on the wi-fi splash page is it worth is it worth it wow is it worth it I, well i mean is the argument that if we put a splash page up it causes confusion in other words what is the big deal about putting a splash page up educate me on that well so from the group now i I like splash pages basically because I, I want people to know that you're not just, you know, getting free Wi-Fi. You're getting Wi-Fi provided by the client and you need to abide by these rules. And right. most, most of them are just, you know, stuff like, you know, we reserve the right to restrict um, bandwidth. We reserve the right to restrict uh, access to certain sites. And usually we'll list like the first 10 categories, you know, pornography, weapons, you know, um, racism and stuff, you know, we list those categories saying that, you know, these sites are going to be blocked. Um, but some of the people are like, you know, well, we have customers that come in and don't want to click the splash page. They just want to get on and not have to be, you know, bothered. And my thought is then don't get on the Wi-Fi. Use your cell minutes or whatever for that. Um, that's yeah, usually one of the most common that. ones. I think of being overly sensitive. And like I said, at the very least, it manages expectations. Even if you say, you know, this isn't the most formal of contracts, but at the very least, it manages expectations. So people shouldn't go into your office uh, in your waiting room thinking or assuming that if they're there early, that they're going to be able to transact business and do um, uh, FaceTime and Zoom conferences and so forth from your office. You're managing expectations. You're telling them, listen. That's not what our guest Wi-Fi is for. We're restricting access and so forth. So at least you won't have uh, those kinds of complaints because you're managing the expectation. Uh, but from a con contract perspective, if um, uh, if a venue is that concerned uh, that their customers will have to go through one or two extra clicks to get on a free Wi-Fi point, well, I think that... Um, they need to re-examine their business priorities. <laughs> I think they need to rethink thing, uh, life decisions if that's their concern. Yeah. I, I just I just found that discussion a little bit funny because I know that probably 75% of the time when I'm out and about, the Wi-Fi that I get going through a guest portal sucks. <laughs> I mean, so, Agreed. you know, the bandwidth really isn't there. And if you're in one of those public stores or whatever, it's the coverage is just never good. So, um, I really don't use them that much when I'm out. I'd rather use my hotspot. I agree. I think, and, and I think that anybody who is worried about that extra click, uh, their, their worry is misplaced. I agree with your point that, uh, you should be more concerned that if you're offering Wi-Fi access, the customers actually get Wi-Fi access and that it's a, it's a pleasant experience, not so much uh, restricting it. So they can't go to gambling sites or porn sites or uh, start usurping bandwidth so that no one else can get bandwidth. That's what they should be concerned right. with. All right. Well, Brad, I thank you. That was uh, pretty much the gist of my question. And I think you hit all of the, the spots that I thought you would hit. Although there was one, I'll, I'll send this to you later, but there was a link in there to a document uh, published by the Office of Legal Education Executive Office for United States Attorneys uh -huh. about searching and seizing computers and obtaining electronic evidence in criminal investigations. Okay. I don't know 
how that got into the discussion, but it is a 299-page document. And the person that put it in there was just basically saying um, that if something illegal happened, you're, you know, and they come in to um, confiscate your logs and your equipment, that's what they're going to, you know, present you with. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, I got news for you. Even if you have a splash page, the most sophisticated splash page with terms that limit liability and put warnings on everything. If there's something going on through your network that uh, is criminal, criminal activity, the government really doesn't care if you have a portal page or not. They don't care about the agreement between you and your customer. And they're, they're going to just start, you know, subpoenaing and taking things and seizing things because that's what they do. That's the government. So no splash page is going to help you anyway. And any reference to, well, look at what the government could do. They could do that anyway, whether you have something in place or not. Uh, and I know that's near and dear to my heart. You may remember I was a prosecutor in two different states yep. and trained FBI and Secret Service in the investigation of computer crime. So I can tell you that um, as a government person, I didn't really care if somebody had an agreement with their customer <laughs> that didn't stop us. All right. All right. Well, Brad, thank you very much. Um, I don't know if you want to hop off now, if you want to hear the Florida man story, but uh, how was your, how was your fourth? My fourth was spent on a plane traveling back from New York, but it was uh, fine. I was just happy that the plane took off on time and wasn't canceled. So along those lines, <laughs> my fourth, I guess I was pretty lucky. I heard a lot of people weren't so lucky. Uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, it was uh, it was fine. But I, I'd love to stick around. I can mute myself, and I want to hear your Florida man story. <laughs> okay. Um, that'll be great if you – I mean, you can stay on if, if you want. I don't mind. You can uh, interject uh, some comments if you wish. Then I'm staying. Okay. <laughs> so last – echo you. All right. Sounds good. So last week, if you follow me on the Facebook, you saw that I put up a story uh, not far from where I was in Kissimmee, Florida, where a gentleman stole an R2-D2 from Disney so that he could prove how good he was so that he could be hired as security guard for Disney. And that did not go well. So that... um, was an interesting story, but here I am going to play you some audio and I will preface it by saying that, uh, this is something. So this happened in Jacksonville. A man has been accused of murdering his neighbor's rooster. A feud between the two has ended in a 30 hour jail stay and a lot of fighting. So James Nix came out of jail and spoke to the news. And I want you guys to hear now, let me rephrase this. I want you to hear his response. And this response is just him. So all of the questions from the media were taken out. And this is just all snippets from him, courtesy of Fox 30 action news in Jacksonville. Uh, it is currently on the YouTube, but I'm going to play this and, uh, you can hear James Nix uh, defending his position on murdering his neighbor's rooster. Popeyes and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, let me go back. 
play it from the beginning. Oh, why is there no audio? The chicken, okay. you know. So I'm defending myself. You know, I was feared for my safety, and the chicken, you know, uh, died. His neck flares up, and he's doing his thing, and he's trying to jump up at me. And I try to hit it, but the chicken's jumping up at me, and I accidentally knocked it in the head. You know, call it a lucky shot, whatever. Next thing you know, he calls the chicken police on me. Chickens are dying every day, people, at churches, Popeyes, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) So that is James Nitz defending himself. Um, Wow. (laughs) Wow, that was the lucky shot defense, I believe, (laughs) in the state of uh, State v. Chicken Killer. I believe that that case uh, was a... a decades old case and the absolute um, uh, affirmative defense of it was a lucky shot is yep. really what he's pleading there. So he's actually a, a legal genius is really yep. what I'm seeing here. That's what I'm I saying. mean, who thought that there was chicken police, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. The chicken uh, police and the lucky shot defense. Yeah. I think you couple that you have a, a pretty good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our show this evening. And I will be back next week with another great show. Uh, We are going to be loaded up soon with the summer tech series where I am focusing on other managed service providers, other tech professionals, anybody that is doing tech that we've not heard from. I'm looking for some new people to hear how they are running their business. We are actually going to be getting some vendors on as well. Um, We're lining up Domotes. I have been mentioning Synology is going to be on the show. And I have a new guest that will be coming up in the middle of July that is a software reseller out of Tampa, Florida. So we've got some good shows lined up for you. I hope that you'll tune in. Each Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, as per usual. And if not, just again, head over to itbusinesspodcast.com, find your favorite podcatcher and subscribe, and get the audio version anytime that you can. So I want to thank Bradley Gross for hopping in and helping us with a couple of legal matters. And we'll be trying to get him back on, but this is his world tour year where he is uh, traveling all over the coast. Uh, he is I believe at all nine or eight of the nine ASCII success summits, he's doing some other conventions and uh, still putting out his world-famous Bradcast. And that is going to do it, folks. I'm going to say good night, so long, farewell. And uh, didn't hear anybody losing any fingers over the weekend, so sounded like it was a good week. We'll see you next week, folks. And until then, holla.